Hey, good morning, and happy new year to you all. Welcome, Redemption. If it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you can join with us at this first Sunday of the year, and uh, we're going to get things started. And uh, just a little bit about redemption. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about redemption and give you a snapshot of what we're going to be doing over for the next few months. Uh, one, uh, redemption, we're one church. We have multiple congregations. Now, that's a little different than if you're used to a multi-site church where there's usually one guy teaching and videoing um, throughout the city. We have one church, but multiple congregations, meaning there's a live preacher at every congregation. Um, I happen to be the one who's majority of the time preaching here in Tempe. We have a campus in Gateway, in Gilbert, uh, Arcadia, West Mesa, which is our bilingual congregation. And we also have a congregation in Flagstaff. Uh, Many of you guys know Vince Garvey. Uh, Vince Garvey was a leader here as one of our elders, and we sent him and a team up to Flagstaff, and they're meeting weekly now up there, and it's been a blessing. In fact, um, we have Emily and Nate who are leading today. They help lead worship there in Flagstaff, and they've been able to grace us with their time to be down here leading for us because our normal leader, David Blakeman, is not here this week. Um, You can pray for him. He's slaving it for the Lord with his family in Hawaii. So... Just think of him, guys. I mean, it's just got to be rough, right? So, but it's good. And just so, because he's not here, um, I just want to say some things about David in particular right now. Take this time. David came on. He replaced, arguably, in my opinion, one of the best worship leaders I've ever seen in Garth Bostick. And that's not an easy task to do. And and David came on full-time in August. Um, It seems like he's been here for years. And he's done a great job. Only been 23, 24 years old. It's just really been a blessing work with him. And uh, he asked, he goes, hey, man, can I take a Sunday off? And I'm like, "Eh, I guess one, right? So, no, it's, it's good for him to be with his family, and he's been a blessing to all of us. Um, so a snapshot about where we're going. We are going to start today a three-week series on, on not just on prayer, on how to pray, but looking at Jesus' prayer. Uh, we believe that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is central to everything that we do. And so if Jesus prays, we want to pray like him. If Jesus says anything, we want to do something like Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at John 17 for, um, for three weeks, and it's Jesus' prayer for his church. Um, after that, we're going to have a six-week series on our vision series. Um, if you can think back to October, we took a week off of, um, off of 1 Peter to talk about and preview this series. Um, 2013 for us, we think, is going to be one of the biggest years we've ever had in that there's going to be a few things we're going to do that we've never done before. One, have a vision series. Meaning six weeks, we're going to look at what we believe God has for this church and primarily this congregation in Tempe. And so we're looking forward to that. And at the end of that, we will also have our capital campaign, something we've never done. Um, Purchasing this building, we're going to have the complete ownership of it. It's going to cost us about a million dollars to do what we believe that needs to be done. And that's going to be a one-time giving as well as a pledge for three years. You'll hear more about that um, in the weeks to come. But again, that will start January 27th to March 3rd. Now, here's what I'm asking as your pastor. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that you're there all six weeks. It is imperative for us as a church to be with one another, to gather with one another um, at that six weeks from January 27th to March 23rd that we can be together as a, con- as a congregation in all four services celebrating and worshiping with one another. Um, after that, we'll do three weeks on the book of Habakkuk. It's a small, short, Old Testament, minor prophet book. And then on Easter, which is March 31st, we will start the book of Romans, and we will be in Romans for a long time long time. In fact, we are going to go all the way up to the end of Romans 7 um, by Advent, and we'll take four weeks off for Advent. And just so that means by the end of November, we're only to chapter 7. We'll get to chapter 8 next January. So get your study on, right? (laughs) 
Uh, one, other, one other announcement is uh, we are starting redemption classes. Um, I, I, you should have a goal. I mean, this is like New Year's, and so everyone's got all types of goals. Let me just give you another one that you probably won't do. Um, here is, 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 is just a joke. I love you guys. Take redemption classes. Um, if you've never taken one, uh, take one. If you've taken two, take four. Our redemption classes are times in, that we have our elders come and teach um, on different topics that train and equip the body um, outside of Sunday services and outside of redemption communities. Uh, the first class that we're offering is a stewardship class. Uh, we're not doing it on a Wednesday night, which is our normal night. We're going to do it on Sunday so that we can have more people to be available to it. It's going to be at 5 p.m. over the next three Sundays, um, and the class is stewardship. Now, usually when you think of stewardship, you think only money. But but since we believe that all of life is offered Jesus, we believe that God cares about the totality of our beings. And therefore, when it comes to stewardship, you'll learn about stewarding your resources, your time. Uh, Jason Raver will come and teach on money. We have one of our members in our congregation who's who's not a bodybuilder, but like a strength, personal, health, fitness coach. He probably wouldn't like it if I said it like that, but he's one of those guys. He's going to come and and help us physically. Um, And so take the class. You'll learn how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to work out, how to eat good. I mean, you're just, you're going to be the best you you've ever been if you take this class, right? It's going to, that's, that's just a lie too. Um, gosh, this year is not starting off as good as I would like. Next three Sundays, 5 p.m. You can sign up at the Connect Desk on your, on your way out, or you can go to redemptionaz.com and sign up for the stewardship class. All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you meet me in John chapter 17, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and, um, and one of the guys, one of the gals will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, raise your hand. Keep it raised high. If you don't have a, a Bible, um, take, take the Bible that, that we're given, that we're handing out, so that you can have a copy of God's Word. Um, because it is the new year, um, we, we know that there is a lot, there are a lot of goal setting. You, some of you guys have started reading the Bible for uh, in a year or writing the Bible in two years and um, just goals that you have as families to be with your family more, whatever they may be. Um, we also have goals as a church and they're more like faith goals, meaning things that we want to do, but we, we trust that they can only be done in the work of the Lord. And one of those is that we as a church, um, as a whole church, and particularly here in Tempe, is that we would grow in our prayer life individually as well as corporately, um, that we would trust, trust in God, trust in his word, trust in his means of grace to lead us, to, to guide us, and to take us in the places and to the people that he would like us to be. Uh, and that starts with prayer. And so that's why we started and said, okay, when we start 2013, we want to start with just three weeks at looking at Jesus's prayer life, um, primarily through what is called as a high priestly prayer. John 17, and it's called the high priestly prayer because people in the Old Testament, they had a high priest. And what a high priest would do is a high priest would go into the tabernacle and to the place that was called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and would intercede to God on behalf of the people. And what we see in John 17 is that Jesus himself is in, is in intimate fellowship and prayer with the Father. And he's praying for himself, he's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for all of us who by faith would come, and, would come to know him through the ministry of his disciples. And so he's interceding for us. And we believe there's a ton of things that we can learn from this, from this prayer. And we broke it off into three sections, week one, week two, and week three. This morning, we'll look at verses one through five and seeing that when Jesus is praying for himself, his primary goal of his prayer is to glorify the Father by making him known. I mean, that, that, that is it. When you read this, that's five verses, the word glory or glorified, it comes up five times. God, Jesus Christ, wants to make the Father known. And primarily, he wants, to make, he wants to make the Father known. He wants God to be made known to us. And so our response to that is that if we know Jesus, 
and that we have followed Christ, and we are upon the same mission, God's mission, which he's set us upon, that we should, in knowing him through prayer and action now, decide and be committed to making him known to the people around us. And so as we start this year, here's, here's our prayer. We want in everything we do to make much of Jesus, to make much of Jesus, to make much of who God is, to make much of the Holy Spirit, to say that we exist to bring glory to God. Every single one of us, this church, not to praise our name, but to praise the name of God. And so as we look at Jesus' prayer this morning, just be thinking about how God wants to be glorified in and through you. So before we look at it, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Fathers, we begin worship collectively this year. Father, there will be many Sundays that we will gather together. There will be times throughout the week where we'll gather in smaller gatherings, and there'll be times in which we are driving to and from work and with family. Father, our, our life is, is, is constantly moving, and time never stops. And God, we pray that you would grow in us a desire and affection to know you, to know you, Lord, and, and make you known in all the things that we do. That, Father, that we know that you are comprehensible but not fully. That means that we will spend our entire lives getting to know you, Father. So as you revealed yourself through us through your word, God, we pray that we would understand it. That our relationship with you individually and corporately, Lord, would, would strengthen. And so I ask over the next three weeks and over this year, Father, that we would not get off the gas at encouraging one another and pursuing you. So, God, we ask that our prayer, um, our prayer life, Lord, would not be something out of guilt, or out of fear, but out of joy and knowing that you are a Father. God, do in us what we would not ask for you to normally do. In Christ's name, amen. What we have here in John 17 is, is Jesus praying. Now, usually when you pray, you're hoping that someone's not writing down your prayers. And I don't, I don't think Jesus was, was praying looking like, John, did you get that? I said, Father. All right? I, don't, I don't think that was happening. But at least he was praying out loud, and so you were able to hear him. I don't know if you've ever been in moments like that, or you, well, you've been in moments where there's been uh, prayer groups that you've been around, and prayer's kind of an awkward thing when you're with people, um, probably because of our insecurities. We've, we've all been in the, the prayer circle, whether we're holding hands, and, or it's popcorn prayer, and your turn's coming, and, and what do you do in your head? You're rehearsing it. I really, Heavenly Father, you good, gracious, glorious God, right? You're trying to think about everything you can say because you want, and you're doing it for the people around you and, and not God. God's like, what are, you, what are you doing? You don't talk like that, right? Jesus is not doing that. Or, or there's, uh, there's other moments where you're praying out loud or, and you don't think other people can hear you. Um, some of us are audible learners. So for me, I'm an audible learner. Like I listen to myself a lot. I talk out loud a lot. I'm not weird. I just can process out loud. Um, so I was calling somebody, left the message for them, um, driving to my car, hung up the phone, put my phone down, and I was driving, and then I thought, I should pray right now, right? I'm a pastor. I should pray right now, right? So I started praying, and I started confessing sin. I'm talking like sin, right? Not like, oh, you know, like, Lord, you know, I'm a sinner. Like, no, here's my sin right now, God, and I want to give it to you. And then I heard this, boom, your message has been recorded. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, this can't be good. <laughs> and, so, and so I call this person who I barely know. Like, I'm not, like, really the best friends with this person. And I call and call and call. So finally they call back, like, are you okay? I'm like, now I am. Hey, don't listen to your message. <laughs> I left you a message, and I confessed all my sin on it. Don't listen to it. And they're like, oh, I, I won't. I'm sure they were like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, that would be embarrassing, right? But fortunately, this individual, as far as I know, didn't write it down. Um, 
John wrote Jesus' prayers down because he wanted, us to know, he wanted us to know what Jesus was praying for. He wanted us to know that Jesus wanted us to know God. Um, I've shared this with you, and I, and I will share it to the day I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Is one of the clearest examples of me for prayer was growing up with my mother. I had a praying house. And not that we were praying or prayers, but my mom was an absolute praying woman. So Saturday morning, she would be in her room. She'd lock the door. We'd be watching cartoons, doing whatever we wanted to do. And if you walked past the hallway in our apartment where her room was, you can hear her saying our names. And it was very clear. Our prayers were very simple. It was that that we would know God, that we would know Jesus, that we would understand our sin and our need of a, self, of a Savior, that it was clear. It wasn't just we would go to college. It wasn't that we would, we would meet healthy spouses. and, and that we, it, None of those things, which are good, but it was clear that they would know God. And I love that. At the moment, I never thought, like, this is really cool. At the moment, I thought, this is just my mom. This is what she does. But now, having become a Christian especially after all those years of her praying those same prayers and seeing what God does through prayer, it is very clear that my prayer is now like my mother's, not only for my children, but also for our church. And not that we would just know God um, in a sense of just knowing him just to begin a relationship with him, but the entirety of our lives that we would know him, that we would fellowship with him, that we would understand his glory, that you and I exist to make him known. And the way that we can make somebody else known is if we know who they are. I believe that when we get a glimpse, at least in these first five verses of Jesus' prayer, that we can learn some things about prayer and that Jesus' desire, Jesus' desire, his primary purpose in coming into this world was to glorify his Father. Read with me in chapter 17, verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to the heavens and said, Father, the hour has come. First thing we see about Jesus' prayer is his posture which I want to make note of, just even for a short time, is his posture. And his posture was looking to the sky, looking to the heavens, and, and, and praying. And sometimes we get tripped up over posture. Like, what is the proper posture that I should pray in? Should I be on my knees? Should I stand up? Should my eyes be open? Should my eyes be closed? And you know what? I'm not exactly sure how you should do it. Um, I'm teaching my son, I'm cutting both my sons, uh, the oldest one, how to pray. And what I realize is the reason why I tell him to close his eyes, I think it's a practical reason. Because when his eyes are open, he's tickling his brother and he's doing everything. I'm like, look, we're praying. He goes, oh, sorry, sorry. Right? And it's like, no, close your eyes so that you can have some focus. For me, personally, I pray best with my eyes open. I've tried almost every posture possible. I prayed on my knees. I prayed standing. I prayed rolling around on the ground. I mean, I prayed all types of ways. The best way for me to pray, my posture, is to walk. Um, it is very, very, I get distracted, like, easy. And so when I sit down at the table and I read my Bible in the morning and I try to pray, I don't know if you guys have ever had this, where you start praying and say, Lord, I thank you this morning. Oh, man, did I, did I email that? Per- Let me go email this person, right? And you come back, I'm back. Lord, <laughs> I thank you again. And then there's something else. I, think, I found out for me, if I can walk and pray, that's the best place to be. Um, Jesus prays looking at the Father because that was customary at that time. No matter what your posture may be, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing was what comes after Jesus is in his posture. The first word that he says here um, is Father. It's Father. When when it it comes to prayer for us, there there are a few things that make Christians feel more guilty. It's evangelism, because we go, I don't share the gospel with people enough, and prayer. Um, We've never met the person that says that they prayed too much. Like, I've never met her. I've never met him. And if I ever met that person, I don't know, it would be weird to ever even hear that. It's kind of like saying you're humble, yourself, right? Those are just weird things. 
But Jesus, if we're going to be a praying people, we have to realize prayer is not a task. Prayer is not something we have to do in the morning in, in order to get along with the rest of our lives. But prayer in itself, it's a relationship. It's intimacy. That prayer is us connecting with the holy God. And the way that we connect with this holy God is understanding our relationship with him. So when Jesus prays, he starts off by saying, Father, Father. Now, I can't stress this enough, that, but because many of us have been around the Bible, we've heard the Lord's Prayer, or we've said the Lord's Prayer. Um, I don't know if you guys know what the Lord's Prayer is, our Father who are in heaven. Um, I remember being in sports. We prayed that prayer all the time. I never knew what the Lord's Prayer was until I became a Christian, and I read it. I'm like, this is actually in the Bible. I never knew the words of it. We would start after a game. Someone would go, our Father, and I'd go, our Father who are in heaven. Amen. All right, let's go. Let's go get him, right? It was just like a prayer. And then I read the Bible, and I realized, man, this is a really beautiful prayer. And then when you see Jesus constantly praying or teaching his disciples to pray, he's saying, say, Father. The reason why I say I have to stress this is because at that time, no one talked to God as Father. Even in our time now, Muslims, they look at our faith, the Christian faith, and they say that we approach God with a sense of flippancy because we call him Father. But there's no other name in which we, we, we should call him. That's the most intimate name. Now, we can say naturally, Jesus makes sense because Jesus is his begotten son, his only begotten son. So, so, of course, he calls him father. But because of the work of Christ, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, his ascension unto heaven, that God himself has given us the Holy Spirit, that we now can call God father. And it's not just words that we use, but this is actually a relationship. This is a position that we have that we're his children and that, that, that theology or that doctrine of adoption is so important when it comes to our prayer life. It's so important when it comes to any area of our life. See, adoption in this day, um, during the times of the Bible, when the Bible was written, and the, the adoption as explained even more so through the Apostle Paul, at that time, what men would do in order to further their name, um, rich men, they would take an adult person who has shown himself to be someone who's trustworthy, and they would adopt that person in order that that person may have the same rights and the exact same privileges of a natural-born child in order that that child would perpetuate the name. But the way that they would adopt somebody, they would watch their lives and watch their obedience and watch how they handle money and say, okay, I will adopt this person. And yet when we see adoption in the Bible, we see that God looks at us in spite of our, our shortcomings, in, in spite of our, fa- our failures, and that God sent his son Jesus to be our true elder brother, that he would give his life for us so that now we may be adopted to the family of God. And what is said of Christ and what is thought of Christ and all the glories that were given to Christ that now are given to us, that we are children. And the beauty of that truth of us being God's children should motivate our prayer life. Our prayer, our prayer life shouldn't just heat up when things go bad. Our prayer life shouldn't just heat up because we need something. But our prayer life should be flowing consistently, um, flowing from our love and relationship with who God is as our Father. Jesus gives us a picture of that. Jesus is in the crunch time of his life, of his three-year ministry. He says, Father, the hour has come. And Jesus is praying for that hour. And that hour that is coming is at the end of his life. Jesus is praying this prayer in the shadows of the cross that he knew that he came to glorify the Father, and the way that he would bring glory to the Father would be through dying on the cross for all who would believe in him, being raised from the tomb. And so Jesus is now praying this prayer. Lord, I'm in the moment of something serious in my life, and I'm going to pray. And we should pray in the moments of things serious in our life. But not just serious things. You know, God cares because he's our Father. He cares about everything. So we could just talk to God. 
We don't have to have proper prayers. You know, we joked about it earlier, how we try to situate our prayers out loud because we want our friends to think that we know the Bible or at least that we know God. And you know what? They can't save you anyway, nor can they answer your prayers. God can. So you talk to God, just talk to him. And not in a flippant way, but because he's your father. And he can sort everything out. We've, I guarantee you, every single person in this room, myself included, we prayed something to God that was probably heresy. And God probably just said, nah, I don't think you meant that, but I think you meant this, right? And understood it. He's God. He, he's all-knowing. And so you can pray for anything. In fact, what we do every week here is after I'm done teaching, Jim comes up and he does a time of response, and we have people for prayer. And I'll, to my right and the left, and there's people there. And the reason for that is it's not just when your marriage, your, your marriage needs prayer, although that could be one, but anything. Do you need a job? Do you uh, want God to open up your womb so that you can have a baby? Do you want to pray for your neighbors? Whatever it may be, we go to God and say, God, it may not be our hour. We don't know, but we can go to him because he's our father. Jesus goes to him because he knows the hardest part of his ministry is about to happen, that he's about to die. And not, not that he's just about to die, but he's, out to, he's about to take upon himself the thing that he hates most, and that is our sin and the sin of all who would believe. That he's about to take the cup of wrath and he's about to drink it, and ultimately on the cross. And so he says, Father, my hour, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Um, this right here um, probably brought me in my study and my time the, the, the hardest have the hardest time understanding this. And then the hardest time trying to pray this and saying what this could look like for us. Here's why. At first glance, it says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Like, it seems in some ways self-absorbed, like Jesus is saying, hey, make my name known, God, and I'll make your name known. Like, like you, you do for me and I'll do for you. We'll, we'll work this thing out. But then upon further study, when you understand what he's, what he's saying, this is a prayer that we should all pray, but it's also a dangerous prayer. Because what Jesus is saying is, God, do whatever it takes to make your name known through me. No, no matter what it takes, do, do whatever you want to do in order that your name may be known. In order that you may be glorified, do whatever. And for whatever for Jesus, he knew already, forever meant I'm going to give my life. And even for Jesus, who's fully God and who's fully man, he, he, he trembles at this. In fact, the next recorded prayer that we have is after this, the disciples, he takes, he takes a few of his disciples and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays and he says, Father, if it's your will, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, take this cup, this cup that represents the wrath of God, take it away. Then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it says in that moment, he is so freaked out that he's sweating blood. This is the son of God, fully God, fully man himself. But he knows, Father, Regardless, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. When I, like, this, this would be weird for us if we just prayed, God, glorify me. Right? That, that'd be weird if you heard me, if you heard, say you walked past the room and you heard me praying, God, I want you to make the name of Ricardo known. Make it great in the city of Tempe and the lands of far. Get people tattooed. That'd be, you'd be like, thanks, tripping, right? Something's wrong with our pastor. But if we prayed like Jesus prayed, um, God, do whatever it takes for you to be glorified in me. Like, that's a dangerous prayer. In fact, if you want to pray that prayer, and I really, really just dare you to, um, write it down. Like, just, just write it down and see what it looks like. Say it out loud so you can, you can hear it. God, here's my kids. Here's my marriage. Here's my singleness. 
Here's my job. Here's my career. Here's my major. Here's my, here's my, here's my path, Lord. Everything that is before me, Lord, um, do whatever you want with it and through me in order for you to be known. Because all we have to do is look at the Bible and go, man, that's scary. Because every single man and every single woman in the Bible who have said, Lord, I'm all in because I'm responding to you. Give me yourself. I want you to take all of me. It hasn't looked pretty. Like, we want their end results, right? We all want to be that, that, that passionate person with zeal like the Apostle Paul. But do we want to be beat up and thrown out of places and thrown in the prison and drug out of things like him? Probably not. We all want to have faith like Daniel to be able to pray three times a day. But do we want to be thrown in the lion's den? Probably not. And we all want to follow Jesus. We all want to be like him. We also always want to resemble him. And, and yet when we see his prayer, his prayer is not, Father, protect me. His prayer is not, Father, give me comfort. His prayer is not, Father, let me accomplish these things that I've set for my goals this year. His prayer is, God, no matter what, through everything of who I am, through my words, through my body, through my spirit, through my soul, glorify yourself. And I, I, I just encourage you to think about that. Don't, don't just pray it flippantly to think, Lord, am I, am I, am I all the way in? Am I, am I completely in? Because this was something I had to wrestle with because I realized, you know what? I'm, I, if, I'm, if I'm just honest, I'm, when I'm not in step with the gospel, here's what I want. I want to know God. And I want people to know God. And I want to know God, and then after that, I want to live a pretty comfortable life, not too comfortable, but not too bad, and enough for when Jesus comes back, I can go to heaven and be like, whew, escaped a few bad things in this life, right? Like, that's, that's kind of what I want. And yet, I, I know that's not what God wants. God, God, God has given me, he's given us his, himself fully and completely, and what he would desires in response to that is out of our love for him is for us to say, Lord, I'm, I'm all yours. So that, that's Jesus' prayer is that God would be glorified in him. And Jesus doesn't stop there because he shows how God would be glorified through him. Verse 2, it says, Since you have given him all authority over flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He said, all authority in heaven, um, everything that is powerful in heaven, God, God has given to Christ Jesus. And Jesus is saying, um, I want you to glorify yourself through me, and this is how I want you to glorify yourself through me. I have authority over all human flesh, and to every single person that the Father has sovereignly given Christ, Jesus says, I will make you known to him. Meaning Jesus is saying, I'm going to glorify you through my life, death, and resurrection, through the ascension, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God himself wants to be known. Jesus wants us to know the Father. And he says, I want them to have eternal life. Now, that that word eternal life, this is Jesus' mission, right? To bring God glory. People say, I thought Jesus' mission was to die on the cross. No, Jesus' mission, his purpose was to glorify God. The means in which he did that was to die on the cross to reconcile sinners to their father and to redeem fallen and broken creation. That's a part of the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news that we can know God. And he says the way this is going to happen is through eternal life. Now, let's talk a little bit about eternal life first because we read that, (laughs) we read that, and we fly over it. Primarily because John 3.16, the Gospel of John, um, one of the most famous verses in Scripture, that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. And what we usually do with our gospel presentations of people is say, hey, uh, if you died tomorrow, where would you go? Oh, you don't know. Huh. Too bad for you, huh? Right? How about you believe in Jesus, and then you'll have eternal life. Oh, I want to believe in Jesus. And we've really, we've really, really, is that the gospel? 
And we've made eternity or eternal life to be something more about quantity than it is about quality. When eternal life, when John talks about eternal life, when Jesus talks about eternal life, it's far more about quality, not about something that we receive after we die in this world. It's about knowing God. See, some of us, we, we, don't, we, we, we want eternal life because we think eternal life is going to be this life, all the things we like in this life, forever. And it's usually scripted to our own stories, right? And so you're saying, oh, I, I, yeah, I want eternal life. Shoot, it's going to be me. I'm going to be with my friends. We're going to have all the right music we like. We're going to have, like, some Coltrane, Love Supreme in the back. I'm going to be dancing. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I want that. It's like, no, that's heaven, if heaven's like that, it's terrible, right? Or on the flip side, some of us, we only have an understanding of heaven um, by what we've seen on movies or what we've seen on TV shows or cartoons. And we, we, we think of flying um, um, angels and angel babies and harps and driving, you know, cloud cars or the Care Bears. I mean, something like, just something, just something weird. And we go, gosh, I mean, I love Jesus and all, but uh, I can wait for eternity, Right? But when we have a perspective or understanding about end times, we have an understanding of what eternal life is, it will dictate what we do now. Or another way to say it is, what we think we know about the future will dictate what we do now. If we knew when we walked outside that it's going to be 100 degrees, chances are some of us will take the jackets and the scars off that we have today. We, oh, because I know what's going to happen. And if we had to just take a glossary at, at Christians in America, or us in Tempe, if you just look at our lives, look at your life, and say, okay, what does your life tell me about what you believe about eternal life? Meaning, if what you believe about eternal life will show in how you lived your life today, what, 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 is, what is eternal life about? Here's what, it, here's what I think I, I would, looking at us, would say. Comfort. It's comfort. Like, do just enough. Like, do just enough to get by. Do just enough to, to, to make sure that you are a Christian. Just pray just enough. Just read just enough. Show up just enough. Give just enough. Just, just enough. Don't, don't go out of your way to be uncomfortable. <laughs> don't do that. Um, I mean, be a little bit uncomfortable, but not a lot. Just, just comfort. Like, that's what we want. And that's what we think eternal life is like. And therefore, we're practicing it here now. But that's not what Jesus says. You see, Jesus in his prayer, he defines for us eternal life. And he's not talking about, again, the quantity, but he talks about the quality. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Meaning that you know the Father, and that we know Jesus, that we understand the gospel. And and when it says know here, it's not so much just confined to just intellect, but it's it's more so relationship. That you know who God is, that there's a relationship there that there's a genuine relationship with you and the Father and you with the Savior, Jesus. And, and hear me on this, because many of us in this room, you said, oh, yeah, I've already believed in Jesus Christ. No, no, no. This is the rest of your life. You see, eternal life does not start after you die. Eternal life starts when you, believe, you begin to believe in Jesus Christ. That moment, wherever you were, um, or that season of life, wherever you were, when God began to reveal himself to you, eternal life started then. You begin to know him. You begin to grow in fellowship with him. You begin to grow in relationship with him. There begin a a greater intimacy with him. And some of you right now are going, I don't know if I've had that. It's because you're not pursuing eternal life. You may be pursuing other things, but you may not be pursuing your relationship with with God and Jesus. Jesus' prayer and our prayer should be that we are increasing in our understanding of knowing God and knowing who he is. This is not for young Christians only. This is for the most mature Christians to get to know God. 
God is not exhaustible. You, that was the last bit. Um, See, I told you, I get so distracted. God is not exhaustible. You are, you are not going to fully know God. We're going to spend all eternity getting to know God. We're going to spend all eternity getting to know him. But it, it's a relationship. Now, what most of us do is we separate the two. We have some people who understand God only through the intellect, only through knowledge. And then we have some people who understand God only through relationship. I think both are dangerous and unhealthy. Here's what I mean. You have some people who show up every single Sunday, who are in every single group, who take every single redemption class, they read books like crazy, they can tell you all the scriptures, and yet there's no intimacy there. There's not a, a, a great deal of humility and transparency and a love for the gospel and a love for the lost and, and understanding struggling sinners, even though they struggle with sins that you never have struggled with. And you can see it because they're all head and they're no heart. They're all head and they're no heart. They're all truth and they're no grace. Like the Pharisees. And on the flip side, you have many, many that are all about a personal relationship with Jesus. Not a corporate relationship, but just a personal relationship. And they know nothing about Jesus. They know nothing about his word. When you ask him things about Jesus, they have no idea. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm in a relationship with him. Well, that would, that, none of those would fly. Either one of those would fly if, if we had a relationship with people who we loved. Like if I had a relationship, I have a relationship with my wife. If I start explaining in that way, and I say only in like just facts and just intellect, and you say, oh, Ricardo, you married the Holly Tan by your wife. Oh, she is 5'7". She went to Folsom High School. She was born in 1982, October 31st. You would go, dang, that, that's weird. It's all facts. Some of us talk about Jesus like that. And the way we talk about him, it's that way. I'm not saying that you have to get all like lovey-dovey and emotionally talking about Jesus, but there should be a sense of like God's a person. There's a relationship there. So the, but you need to know something about him, but there's got to be some heart. Or on the flip side, if I, if I just set out a relationship in my life, but I didn't know her, like, that'd be awkward too. Some of you guys are doing that. You think you're dating somebody, and they don't know it. It's weird. Stop it, right? They're, 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 you, you, you have to know that person, and that person's got to want to be in a relationship with you, right? If you said, hey, Ricardo, you're in a relationship with Holly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what, tell me about her. Oh, don't, I, you know what? Let's not even get into the details. <laughs> Okay, where's she from? Hey, ah, hey, listen, really, come on. Just, I'm just in a relation. I'm in a personal relationship. How do you know? Because I know it in my heart, right? No, there has to be, so you have to understand truth. You got to have a balance of truth and grace. You have to have a balance of head and your heart. So when Jesus says, this is eternal life, and he's praying for that, our prayers should be informed and motivated by the knowledge of Christ, by the knowledge of God, and the intimacy that we have in him. The best book I've, I've ever read on knowing God um, try to read it once a year, and it was a book titled Knowing God, right? It's by J.R. Packer. It's really easy. It's called Knowing God, and it's about knowing God. Um, it's a deeper book. It's pretty theological, but really good. Chapter 19, it's a book on adoption and our sonship. Best chapter I've ever read in a book. Had the most impact on my life in understanding the gospel. And, 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 and I say that because no matter how long I've been walking as a Christian, the longer how long I've been, I've been trying to grow in my fellowship with the Lord, I realize there's so much more I need to know about God. Because the more I know about God, the more I know about myself. It's in knowing God that I become more, more known of who I am and who the people around me are. And so there's a relationship there. You've you, 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 you got to have both the intellect and you've got to have the relationship to have a strong fellowship with knowing God. I mean, there's people in this world who we know, but we don't have a relationship with them. You guys know what that's like. Like, we all know the president uh, we all know, we, we know of the president. I, I've been doing this deal. I'm speaking on Martin Luther King's day on, on Martin Luther King. And I've been reading all these books and biographies. On Martin. I know a lot about Martin Luther King, right? 
if I saw, well, if I saw him now, that'd be pretty weird. But if we saw each other, um, I, I'd, I'd go, hey, what's up? What's up, Martin? What's up? And he'd look at me and go, dude, who are you, man? He'd say, who are you, my friend? And I said, I'm just like. <laughs> but I don't know him. Like, I've read a lot about him. I've read a lot about him. But I don't know him. Um, some of you have read a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him. And some of you have talked a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him. Jesus came into this world, and ultimately his prayer, and our prayer, our prayer for this year, our prayer for this church, is that we as a church would grow in roots. So, so when I say I want our church to grow, gosh, you got to hear me this. I am not saying numerically. I am not saying numerically. I, I can care less if our church grows numerically, if our church grows in roots. But here's what I know. If our church begins to grow in roots, we can understand the, the breadth and the height, the length and the depth, and know the love of Christ, we'll grow numerically because people will be, no, will be made known. God will be made known to those around us. Our, our, our prayer is never that we just we stay huddled in. Our prayer is that as we grow, part of maturity, part of praying with Jesus and praying like Jesus, is that not only that we know him and that we know him more and that we grow in maturity, but those around us begin to know him, that our family members begin to know him, that our children begin to know him, that our corporations and organizations and universities, that they begin to know him. That in the same way that Jesus now is praying, the hour has come, that our hour now is to do likewise, is to pray and do the work that God has called us to do in Christ Jesus and making his name known. In fact, prayer in itself is not just something that we do statically and then, and then we move on with the rest of our lives, but prayer has to lead to action. Not just trusting that God is going to do something, but trusting that God will glorify himself in and through his people. And this is more than just evangelism. This is an all-of-life thing of saying, God, I want you to take every single thing that is before me, every single thing that you've given me responsibility of to take care of, and I want it to be stewarded in such a way, and I want you to be magnified, and I want you to be glorified in it. Come what may. Come what may. And you know what? Here's what's going to happen. Hear me. Some of you, you will have the hardest marriage you've ever had this year. Some of us will have miscarriages. Some of us will go through the hardest things. It's, it, it, it's inevitable. We live in a broken world. The question will be in the midst of it, not that you get over it. Gosh, you, sometimes you never get over any of those things. But could you pray like Jesus? God, I pray that you'd be glorified in this situation, that you'd be glorified in my marriage, that you'd be glorified in my singleness, that you'd be glorified in this loss. And that's not being stoic. That's not saying that you don't care. That's not saying that, that somehow you're going to just be fine with it. No, you'll never be fine with some of those things. We'll never be fine with that. Even Jesus, after he was resurrected, I love the fact that he still had the scars. Even when God gets us through things and God is glorified through certain things in our life, there's still scars. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about, you know, kids get over divorce. And I'm like, are you serious? Kids never get over divorce. I'm 30 years old. I'm still not over my parents' divorce. And I probably never will be. It doesn't mean that God's still not glorified in it. It doesn't mean that God is not ultimately making his name known through it. You see, prayer leads to active lives. People who pray do things. And this is how Jesus wraps up this first part of this prayer in verses 4 and 5. He says, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, I've glorified you, God. I'm done. 
And, and he's speaking in a future sense, a past tense about the future. I mean, he knows I'm going to go to the cross. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm so committed to you, God, because you are committed to me. The Father was so committed to the Son that the Son is so committed to the Father. And Jesus is letting us into this. Do you know that the Trinity in itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the reason why Jesus came into this world is that he opened up his life to us, that we may be included into that? Like, that, that was the purpose of creation. That God himself created out of an overflow of love in his own heart because God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had always existed in community. And their desire was to include you and I ultimately through the death, life, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. But part of that mission is that we would play our part. Meaning, having come to knowing God, come to saving faith and knowing who Christ is, that we so desire to be a part of, quote-unquote, the family business of making him known. And so Jesus says, I've completed my work. And what we're going to see over the next two weeks is there's work for the church to do. And the church continues until Christ comes back to fully redeem all of creation in the work and through the work that he's accomplished. But there's a role for you and I. And so many of us are saying, I want to know God's will for me. Listen, he doesn't get always into details or specifics or what you should wear or who you should date. But here it is. It's the same purpose that Jesus came, to glorify God and that God would be glorified in you. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. No matter, no matter what that be, no matter what those crosses are, so to say, in your own life is to say, God, because of response to you giving yourself to me, that now I'm being included into the greatest community ever, and that is the community of God, the family of God. Now, Lord, help me to play my part and to play my part well. So as we said before, our prayer this year, beyond anything else, is that God would be magnified through us, that he would be magnified through us, that we as a church would mature. I would mature, you all would mature, and our roots would grow deep. We pour ourselves out for one another, and in doing so, pour ourselves out for the community around us, that we would see people who were not Christians become Christians. You know, last year, we were looking at, you know, at the end of the year, you total, and you see what God has done. You've seen um, people come, and people come to faith, and we looked at our attendance went up, and I just said, you know what, Lord, our attendance went up, but when I talked to people, I left this church to come here. I moved here from that. They were already Christian, many of them. Some of us, people got saved last year. It was amazing. It was awesome. But I want to see people who are walking in this earth right now, some of you guys who are here who are not Christian, this year become Christian because of the ministry of this church. That, that, that God would be made known through our proclamation and our demonstration. That we would say, Lord, we're going to set aside who we are, Lord, in order that we may make known who you are. That's the purpose that you've given us. We will make disciples according to that truth. So our prayer lives will show that. Our prayers would not only be for protection safety. Not to say you should never pray for those things, but our prayer life would be more dangerous. God, do what you want to do through me and do what you want to do through my church. Amen? And so I'm, just, I'm asking you, with us as your elders and collectively, let's pray that prayer and let's keep ringing that drum throughout the year and let's just see what God would do. Let's see the new believers. Let's see the, the healthy marriages. Let's see more disciples been made and let's see us mature, not just in age, but in spirituality and knowing Jesus. Let's pray.